Welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha, a podcast shared by David Roylance. This podcast is dedicated to guiding you to completely eliminate the discontent mind and the suffering it causes by attaining enlightenment. Learn and practice the teachings of Gotama Buddha that will guide you to fully attain a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind with joy. To support this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha or visit buddhadailywisdom.com where you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online learning resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Now, here's our teacher to share more. สวัสดีครับ. Hello and welcome to Daily Wisdom, Walking the Path with the Buddha. Today is our group learning program and we're starting with a four-part series of learning, breathing, mindfulness meditation. This is a primary form of training that the Buddha taught and he practiced in order to move the mind closer and closer to this enlightened mental state and actually attain it. When you study the words of the Buddha, you see that he points to breathing mindfulness meditation as a very high priority in one's life practice that you're developing. This weekend on Sunday, I'm going to be starting to introduce you to the Eightfold Path, which is the core central teaching of the Buddha. And as you learn the Eightfold Path, you'll understand where breathing mindfulness meditation connects into that because as this core central teaching, there's other teachings that plug into it. And breathing mindfulness meditation is something that you're going to need to build up in your life practice. So we're going to start that today. And I know that there's many people who are joining us live in Zoom and Facebook, YouTube and other places. And then there's plenty of people who are also watching this on the replay. So I'd like to welcome all of you, whether you're joining brand new and starting the group learning program or whether you're retaking the group learning program, I'd like to welcome all of you because today we're going to start with learning, breathing, mindfulness, meditation from the very beginning and building you guys up. And then we'll actually do a breathing, mindfulness, meditation together today as part of our class as well. So first I'm going to provide some guidance and some instruction and teach you and help you to understand what breathing mindfulness meditation is and how you might do breathing mindfulness meditation and then I will actually guide you in a breathing mindfulness meditation session. I'm going to use some visual aids to help me share with you this topic of breathing mindfulness meditation and as I shared with you as part of the very first class of the new start of the group learning program, I shared with you how I'm not interested in you believing me about anything and you shouldn't believe the Buddha about anything. So therefore, right here at the very beginning of our class, talking about breathing mindfulness meditation, I'm not even interested in you believing that the Buddha actually taught something called breathing mindfulness meditation. Instead, what I'm going to do here is bring in some of his words just a few of them about meditation so that you can see that he actually did teach meditation and he did teach breathing mindfulness meditation. As you progress in your journey with the path to enlightenment and the teachings of the Buddha, you'll see more and more words around meditation and what he taught, but these are just a few to help you get started. The first thing he says here, at least what I have here for the class, is meditate monks, do not be complacent lest you regret it later. This is my instruction to you. 
So this is how a Buddha speaks. They speak very clear, very concise, and very precise. They don't leave anything open to interpretation. Instead, they're giving you very direct and specific guidance. So here he's guiding his students, the monks or students. He's encouraging them to meditate and not be complacent. Because when you're experiencing discontentedness like anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, annoyance, guilt, shame, fear, boredom, loneliness, shyness, resentment, jealousy, any kind of stress, anxiety, or grief, or other discontent feelings, the mind will regret that you haven't been meditating, and then the mind is experiencing this. So as you're transforming the mind from where you're starting now to ultimately moving the mind to enlightenment, there's going to be some discontentedness. And here, the Buddha is helping you to see not to be complacent, that be active and apply effort and energy into your practice to arise this regular practice of meditation. This is the closest you'll get to the Buddha really kind of encouraging people to be sure that you practice. And all of his other teachings, he's just delivering the teachings. But here he's really trying to encourage people to be sure to not be dull or lethargic or unmotivated and sure that there's not complacency there. Then he says, a pot without a stand is easy to tip over. The pot is the mind. The stand is your meditation practice. So it's easy to tip over the mind when it doesn't have a meditation practice. It's easy for the mind to become discontent when you don't have a meditation practice. But as you learn how to meditate and you build your practice more and more, this stand becomes wider and wider, and now it's harder to tip over the pot. As you have a more developed meditation practice, it's harder and harder for the mind to become discontent because you've been training it so well as part of your meditation practice. So you'll need to develop your meditation practice and those benefits accumulate over time. This gradual training, gradual practice, and gradual progress that you'll experience on the path to enlightenment is what you will experience. It's not going to be meditate once and then all your discontentedness is gone, or even meditate for a week or a month and all your discontentedness is gone. Instead, it's going to need some gradual training, gradual practice, and gradual progress. And as you progress with your meditation practice, these benefits will accumulate. So some people can notice benefit in a few sessions or a week or to, but as you do that more and more and you build up your practice a month, three months, six months, a year into your regular consistent meditation practice, you will really see the benefits accumulating. And then it'll be more and more challenging for the mind to become discontent. Or as the Buddha is saying here, a pot without a stand is easy to tip over that now that you have a really well-developed meditation practice, it'll be more and more challenging for the pot to tip over, for the mind to tip over. Here is a few words where the Buddha is pointing to breathing mindfulness meditation and explaining how important it is for your path to enlightenment. He says, monks, there is this one thing that when developed and cultivated leads exclusively to liberation, to freedom from strong feelings, to elimination, to peace, to direct knowledge or experience, to enlightenment, to nibbana. What is that one thing? Mindfulness of breathing or breathing mindfulness meditation. This is that one thing that when developed and cultivated leads exclusively to liberation, to freedom from strong feelings, to elimination, to peace, to direct knowledge or experience, to enlightenment, to nibbana. 
Well, first off, nibbana is just a Pali word that is being translated to enlightenment. So you might see this word nibbana occasionally. But what he's explaining here is there's this one thing. What is it? It's breathing mindfulness meditation that when you develop and cultivate this, that it leads to this liberation or freedom of strong feelings, freedom of the mind, where it's no longer plagued with discontent feelings. It leads to elimination of these discontent feelings, to a peaceful, calm, serene, and content mind. But it's through direct knowledge or experience by you actually doing the meditation that you will be able to experience that, that you need to actually put in the work of the meditation in order to train the mind to move closer and closer to this enlightened mental state. And I'm going to be sharing with you as part of these teachings how to develop this meditation practice and why is this meditation working to actually move the mind closer and closer to the enlightened mental state. So we're going to be getting to that in today's class. But now that you see that the Buddha did indeed teach meditation, let me share with you some of the basics of meditation so that you can understand how one might get started with just understanding some of the very rudimentary basics in terms of meditation. When I teach, I don't assume that your understanding of the topics that I'm teaching is the same as my understanding. So what I like to do in the book and in the classes is I will oftentimes define something first so that it ensures that we're talking about the same thing. So I'm not assuming that your definition or your understanding of meditation is the same as mine or what the Buddha taught. So here I'm defining what meditation is and I share the same definition in the book as well. It is meditation is a technique to actively train the mind during dedicated, independent, purposeful training sessions to eliminate unwholesome qualities of mind and or cultivate wholesome qualities of mind in the positions of seated, lying, standing, or walking. So it's really important as you learn that you understand what meditation is and what it isn't. So meditation is this dedicated, active, purposeful training session where you're eliminating certain unwholesome qualities from the mind and certain wholesome qualities are being cultivated in the mind. And it's in the seated, lying, standing, and walking positions. These are four positions that the Buddha actually taught. The unwholesome qualities that are being eliminated, I'm going to share that with you with each meditation that I teach you. I'm going to explain what are the pollutions or the unwholesome qualities of mind that are being eliminated through this meditation and what wholesome qualities are being cultivated. This is the why behind why are you doing each individual meditation. It's really important to understand the why so that it more fully informs your practice so you'll know what to actually be doing while you're meditating. And it's also important to understand that meditation isn't exercising, walking the dog, gardening, driving, or things like this. Sometimes now in common language, someone might say, I'm going to go walk the dog and meditate, or I'm going to go garden and meditate, or I'm going to go for a drive and meditate. But if you thought that meditation was walking the dog, gardening, or driving, and that's all you did, you wouldn't actually be able to experience enlightenment because it's not a dedicated, active 
purposeful training session to eliminate certain unwholesome qualities and cultivate wholesome qualities. Now these things and others can be wonderful. Exercising, walking an animal, gardening or driving, all of these things can be really wonderful for your life and there might be things that you actually do. But it's just important to understand that those things aren't meditation. Those are other activities that you might be doing. So today I'm going to be teaching you and then over the course of these four part series, I'm going to be helping you to develop this meditation practice that is a dedicated, purposeful, active training session. And as you're learning meditation, it's important to have a teacher. You wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment without a teacher. As I mentioned in our very first class on Sunday, that only a Buddha would be able to get to enlightenment by themselves without the help of any guidance of any teachers. So you'll need to have a teacher in order to help you to develop your life practice and get to this enlightened mental state. And meditation is the same way. You would like to have a teacher. So if you would like to consider me your teacher, you're welcome to do that. You would need to have somebody to reach out to occasionally, whether it's in classes or private messages or like I have Facebook posts that you can post or you can schedule personal guidance because there's people that try to practice meditation on their own through YouTube videos and books and things like this, not realizing that they actually need a meditation teacher. And they can get themselves into a whole lot of challenges with the mind. There's actually been people who have reached out to me that maybe for a few years they were trying to meditate on their own through YouTube videos and books and things like this, and their mind got into a really difficult situation, even to the point where they couldn't work any longer, they were contemplating suicide, they were in deep depression, they were sometimes sleeping 23 hours a day. And then as they got help from a teacher over the course of a year or so, they were able to work their way out of those difficulties. And now they're back to work. They're no longer depressed. They're not having suicidal thoughts and all these other things that were causing difficulties in their life. But for about three or four years, this individual was really in a difficult situation. And he understands now that he needed a teacher. And this is why he ended up getting to the point where his mind was having even obsessive thoughts, where it was just having the same thought over and over and over and over again. And this was a person who was actually a, a medical doctor in a country where he was able to practice medicine, but he wasn't able to do that any longer because he was trying to learn on YouTube and with books without any contact from any teacher. There's going to be periods of time in your meditation where you'll meet with challenges and you'll have certain questions and having a teacher to reach out to and say, hey, I'm experiencing this in meditation. Can you help me? And if all you get back from me is that's completely normal, keep going, it can give you the confidence that you're on the right track. But for this individual, just because they didn't have that, they were meeting challenge after challenge after challenge after challenge, and this is what worked their mind into the problems that they experienced. With you having a teacher and you having guidance and understanding how to actually meditate, there's no reason why you would experience any of those things that I mentioned that this other person experienced. And that's why I'm sharing with you to be sure that you have contact with the teacher, that as you're experiencing anything in meditation, you have the ability to reach out and you have a relationship with someone that can actually help you. And that's one of the benefits is being part of a community because you have a teacher, but then there's other members of our community who have been practicing and learning with me for quite a while. And then those are people that you might also develop relationships with and actually reach out to at some point as well. 
So as I mentioned, there's no reason why you would experience any of those things that that same individual experience because you actually have a teacher that you can reach out to and you also have other members of the community that you might develop relationships with over the course of learning that you also might decide to reach out to those individuals as well. So it's important to have a meditation teacher. Then there's these four meditation positions that the Buddha taught. I'm going to share with you these four different meditation positions and explain to you how I use these positions because the Buddha didn't teach just one position because of what we call impermanence where things aren't steady and constant and fixed. Things are constantly changing. So you're going to need to know these different positions because you're not going to be able to just use one position permanently. And these different positions are beneficial and you might have a certain purpose for using one versus the other in any given situation. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share with you these four different positions and how I use them. And then it's important that you don't believe me, but through your own direct experience, you use these different positions at different times and see how they work best for you. So for example, the seated position tends to be my go-to meditation position. I probably use this one 80 or 90% of the time. You're either sitting on the floor with a cushion under your rear and having your legs crossed, or you might be sitting in a chair or something like that, even a wheelchair. If you are in a wheelchair, you can just sit in a device like a wheelchair or a chair. So the seated position is that go-to position that a lot of people learn in, and this tends to be kind of the default position that a lot of people actually use because it's readily accessible and really easy. But as you're actually doing the seated position, you might run into various challenges with the physical body. You might notice in certain situations that you might have aches or pains somewhere in the body. That's where a lying position is really helpful for you. You might decide to just lie down on the floor or lay down in a bed where the body's just straight, the face is up and the palms are up and you can just lie down. This completely relaxes all the muscles in the body. So if you have any back pain or if your hip is causing any pain or you have any aches and pains anywhere in the body, even your neck or your shoulders, you can sometimes just lay down and this is going to relax the entire body and you won't feel that pain anymore. Because if you just feel pain, 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 pain throughout your meditation, it'll be very challenging to actually train the mind because the mind is preoccupied with this pain. So you would like to have this position of lying that you can completely relax the body. Then sometimes when you're in lying position or the seated position, you might notice that the mind has a tendency to fall asleep, particularly when you first get started, because meditation, there's a lot of work in order to meditate and the mind's doing a lot of work. So in the seated or lying position, as the mind's doing this work, if you notice that it's getting sleepy, you can either just go to sleep or you could change positions to either standing or walking, and this will tend to keep the mind more attentive and alert during your meditation session. You can even use standing position. I've been at bus stops before waiting for a bus and there's 10 or 15 minutes and I'll just stand there and do some meditation. Or if I'm waiting in line somewhere, maybe to get my driver's license and there's a 20 or 30 minute line, I might just stand there and get a, a little bit of meditation in while I'm standing there. I don't necessarily count those as one of my standard meditations, but I can get a little bit of extra meditation there. And then walking position is also really good if the body is sore or there's any pain in the body or if the mind is falling asleep. 
It's also really good if you have an overactive mind, if there's too much energy in the mind, if there's anxiety in the mind, and the last thing you're thinking about is sitting down somewhere and actually being in just one spot. Sometimes the mind is too anxious or overactive for that, and it needs to do something like a walking meditation in order to let the energy come out. And then you might switch from walking over to seated, or you might switch from seated over to walking, or you might just stay with walking. So you don't have to stay in the exact same position all the time. You can throughout your entire session, but you can also switch between different positions within one session. So you'll need to try these different positions and see what works best for you. You might start with seated position for a while, maybe for two or three weeks, kind of build up that position first. Then you might actually try some others as well. You can switch between these different meditation positions within one session or you can just stay with one meditation position, but you should try each one of these positions and build up your practice so that you know in what situations and what circumstances you prefer one position versus another. And you shouldn't believe what I'm sharing, but instead practice these and build these up. And as you get started, you might stick with just one position, like seated position. This might be for the first two, three, four weeks, what you choose to do. And then once you get your practice more stabilized, you might try to branch out a little bit and try lying and do that one along with seated at different times. Maybe you try standing and then ultimately you would like to start learning walking position, particularly if you have an overactive mind. If you have an overactive mind, you might choose to go to walking and learn that through our YouTube channel. We have a video there where you can search on the YouTube channel for walking meditation. And there you can see how I instruct walking meditation because that's kind of challenging to instruct over a live stream over the computer. So I did a YouTube video on that so that you'd be able to learn that at your own leisure time or whenever you feel like is the right time. So what you choose to do in your practice is based on your independent journey. Everybody's different. So some people might start with seated and do that for a while. Someone else might feel like they have somewhat of an overactive mind and they might move to walking and start learning that more readily. And this is where you can see everybody's on their own independent journey. I'm just here sharing with you what works and what I experienced and you work with these teachings and you are on this independent journey to figure out through your own direct experience what's working in one situation versus another. So let me pause here to see what questions you guys have on what I've shared so far. You can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand electronically in Zoom and ask any questions or follow-up questions directly. Yes, thank you, sir. On YouTube, Thomas asks, do, do I need to build meditation positions? Recently, I've not been able to be sitting without support for a long time. Has traditional meditation positions improved the effect of meditation? Yes. Yeah, so as you switch from meditation position to another, you'll see that there's benefits and things that you can experience differently in one position or another. It's not changing what you do with the mind. 
with the mind, you do exactly the same thing, regardless of what position you're in pretty much. But what you're doing by changing the position is you're making the body comfortable. You're not interested in the body being painful. You're not interested in it being luxurious because there it can kind of lack its attention, lack its focus. So you're not interested in being luxurious with the physical body or painful. Instead, you'd like to find this middle where the body can be comfortable. And there, when the body's comfortable, now you'll be able to actually train the mind. Uh, wonderful. Thank you, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. Um, are we able to do each type of meditation that is taught in all of these positions? Like, can we do loving kindness position or loving kindness meditation while we are walking? So breathing mindfulness meditation can be done in seated, lying, standing, and walking position. But with loving kindness meditation, that's done in seated, lying, and standing. We don't do loving kindness in the walking position. So when I get to the four-part series on loving kindness meditation, the things that I share with you there, they can be done in seated, lying, standing, but we wouldn't do them in the walking position because it's a different type of meditation and it's done typically only in those three positions of seated, lying, and standing. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you, sir. Uh, yes, sir. On YouTube, Joe Ellie asks, hello, as a novice, should I be fighting off thoughts for the entire meditation time? Thank you. You're not interested in fighting off anything. You'll see as I instruct the meditation, I'm going to now go to the next part where I'm going to be giving you a lot more details on meditation and how to do it and guiding you in an actual meditation session. We're going to be cutting off thoughts and letting them go, but you're never interested in fighting anything. So you'll see after I instruct the meditation, check in at that point if you still have this question, because then you'll hear how to actually do breathing mindfulness meditation. Wonderful. Thank you, sir. Uh, there are no other questions at this time. Okay. Let's go to the next part of our class, which is what I'd like to share with you in terms of what we're actually accomplishing in breathing mindfulness meditation. These are the four individual meditations that the Buddha taught as part of his teachings. And the first two, breathing mindfulness meditation and loving kindness meditation are something that every single practitioner is going to need on the path to enlightenment. And that's because they address two of the three primary problems that the Buddha discovered. When we get to chapter eight, we're gonna be discussing what's called transforming the three poisons of craving, anger, and ignorance. And these are the three high-level problems that the Buddha discovered about the unenlightened mind. And each one of these meditations, breathing mindfulness meditation addresses one, loving kindness meditation addresses the other, and then part of developing your practice to acquire wisdom addresses the third one. So as you learn the three poisons, you'll understand more closely why the Buddha taught only these two primary methods of meditation, because that's really all you'll actually need. And then this meditation to eliminate sexual cravings and meditation to realize non-self, these are two specialized meditations that not everyone's going to need. So I only teach those on an as-needed basis. But in this program to get you started, breathing mindfulness meditation is the first priority because what you're going to learn on Sunday is that the primary cause of all discontentedness in the mind is craving desire attachment. This is what's actually leading to the anger, the sadness, the frustration, guilt, shame, fear, shyness, boredom, loneliness, resentment, jealousy, and all these other discontent feelings. So when you learn the Four Noble Truths as part of Sunday's class, 
you'll then hear me explain to you that breathing mindfulness meditation is one of the primary trainings to address the primary problem that the Buddha discovered. Because in those Four Noble Truths, I'm going to be explaining the problem, the cause, the elimination, and the path forward. So here with breathing mindfulness meditation, what you're eliminating from the mind is what's called craving desire attachment. This is the mental longing for something with a strong eagerness. The way the mind chases after the objects of its affection. If it gets what it wants, it gets pleasant feelings like happiness, excitement, elation, thrill, euphoria. But if the mind doesn't get what it wants, then it moves to this anger, sadness, frustration, irritation, and other painful feelings. So it's really important as part of your path to enlightenment to understand the Four Noble Truths and what craving desire attachment is, which we're going to be describing on Sunday in detail. We're going to be going into that in detail. But just understand that breathing mindfulness meditation is antidoting or transforming or uprooting this unwholesome quality in the mind of craving desire attachment. And then I'll explain that to you on Sunday. Then what you're cultivating in the mind is called mindfulness and concentration. These are two qualities of mind that's part of this core central teaching of the Eightfold Path. Mindfulness is awareness of mind. And in order to purify the mind and train the mind, you're going to need this awareness of mind in meditation. But then also all throughout your day, you'll need to have this awareness of mind so that as unwholesome qualities are arising, you can skillfully cut those off and let them go. And then when the wholesome qualities are in the mind, you can support those, encourage those, and not allow them to fade. So mindfulness is a very important quality to cultivate in the mind so you're developing that in meditation and then practicing it in daily life and this is once again something that we're going to be going into a lot of detail on when we get to that section of the eightfold path i'll be explaining to you what mindfulness is in more detail but for now you might just think of it as awareness of mind and then the other aspect that the mind is cultivating in breathing mindfulness meditation is this wholesome quality of concentration or the ability to have singleness of mind, where you can focus on a single object and train the mind to have focus and clarity and concentration. So in our meditation, we're gonna be focused on the breath. And as you receive this instruction, you'll hear that the breath will be coming into the nose, you'll be hearing the sound of the breath, and you can focus on that sound or you can focus on the sensation of air moving into the nose. This is the single object that you're focusing on to develop that singleness of mind. The breath is the present moment. It's right now. And what the unenlightened mind will have a tendency to do is it wants to go to the past or it wants to go to the future. So as you're focusing the mind on the breath, you're developing this awareness of mind where you're aware of what thoughts are coming into the mind and you're training it or honing it and practicing to focus on just a single object like the breath in the present moment so that when the mind moves off the breath, you can regain this control of the mind. One of the problems that are in the unenlightened mind is it lacks discipline or it lacks control. So when the mind wants to run forward into the future or run into the past, in meditation, you're gonna be training the mind to come back to the breath, the present moment. And then over an accumulation of multiple sessions, your mindfulness or awareness of mind will gradually increase. The concentration will gradually increase where you have more ability to focus the mind. And then you're also eliminating craving, desire, attachment, which is also helping with concentration. And now these qualities of mind of 
mindfulness and concentration, you can use them in daily life in your personal and professional relationships and all that you do in life. You'll have more awareness of the mind. You'll have more focus, more concentration. You'll develop more memory. And this all comes from training the mind and breathing mindfulness meditation and then using those qualities in your daily life along with all the rest of the Eightfold Path that I'm going to be teaching you over the next three Sundays. So this is the purpose behind breathing mindfulness meditation. This is when I describe the definition of breathing mindfulness meditation, where I say it's a dedicated, active, purposeful training session to eliminate certain unwholesome qualities and arise certain wholesome qualities. Well, the unwholesome qualities that you're eliminating is craving, desire, attachment, the mental longing where the mind isn't content and peaceful and joyful in the present moment. It wants to be in the past or it wants to be in the future. So you're eliminating that unwholesome quality of craving, desire, attachment. And the wholesome qualities that you're cultivating is mindfulness and concentration. Then let's talk about starting a meditation session and the way that you would start and some things that you need to understand as we get ready to now learn breathing mindfulness meditation. One of the first things to understand is that the mind is the boss and the body is the employee. Essentially, the body is following whatever the boss, the mind, is interested in doing. So if you're in meditation and the body is painful, The body is not going to allow you to access the mind because the mind is just going to be experiencing pain, 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 pain. So if the employee is painful, if the body is painful, it's not going to take you to go see the mind, the boss. But also, if the body is luxurious, if the employees are luxurious, they're going to become fairly lethargic and unmotivated. It's not going to allow you to go see the boss or the mind. So if you would like to access the mind in order to train it in meditation, you're going to need to get the body comfortable, not painful and not luxurious, but in the middle where the body's comfortable. So if at any time you experience any pain, whether it's the hip or the back or what have you, you can shift and adjust in your meditation position and try to get the body comfortable. But if you're having challenges with that, that's where you just switch positions. You might switch from a seated to a lying, or you might switch from a seated lying or up to a standing, or you might switch to a walking position. Don't feel like you need to permanently stay in one position and never move throughout the meditation. At any point that you see pain in the body, we're not interested in the employee being painful because it's not going to take us to see the boss or the mind. But also, we're not interested in having tons and tons of pillows around and all kinds of luxurious things around in order to make the body luxurious because now it's not going to take you to go see the boss or the mind. So be sure that the body's in the middle where it's comfortable, not painful and not luxurious. Then the Buddha, as he talks and he instructs meditation, he says multiple times in his teachings to set up mindfulness in front of you before you meditate. What mindfulness is, is it's awareness of mind. That's the way to think of it real generally. We're going to talk in more detail about mindfulness in a few weeks on a Sunday to give you a better understanding of what mindfulness is. Nowadays, The word mindfulness has made its way into common language, and a lot of people use mindfulness instead of the word careful. So they might say, will you mindfully carry this cup of water to the table? 
What they're really saying is, will you carefully carry this glass of water to the table? But it's important that even though other people might be using this word mindful in a way that the Buddha didn't use it, that you ensure that you understand what the word mindful means and that you use it in the way that you understand from the path to enlightenment, which is awareness of mind. So what the Buddha is saying in his teachings is set up awareness of mind in front of you before you actually start meditating. So instead of just walking in and plopping down into meditation and haphazardly jumping into a meditation session, what he's explaining is to gradually ease the mind into meditation where you're developing this awareness of mind as you ease it into meditation. I'd use chanting in order to ease the mind into meditation and to set up this mindfulness or awareness of mind and awareness of the breath as I'm easing the mind into meditation. I will teach you chanting over a four-part series that will start in about two months from now. So you're going to learn the chanting, but in the meantime, and even once you learn the chanting, you might decide to do other things. Maybe you go to the bathroom and empty out the organs. Maybe some people like to do a little bit of stretching or other things, or maybe you would like to loosen up the neck and get the body nice and comfortable where you're bringing this awareness to the mind and you're not just plopping down in meditation and trying to start. So be sure that you kind of get into the habit of setting up this mindfulness or this awareness of mind as you ease it into meditation and you'll get much more benefit out of the meditation itself. Then in terms of a time frequency or schedule, the amount of time that you might decide to meditate is going to be based on your life and kind of the way that you develop the mind. When you first start, it might be five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes of meditation per session. That might be what your mind is able to do. That might be what you have space for in your life. But what you would like to build up to is a 30 minute session, about 30 minutes or more each individual session, two or three times per day. Now, it's very rare that anybody can really do that right off the bat, that you're going to be able to necessarily do two or three meditation sessions for 30 minutes or more per session. Instead, you start wherever you start. If it's five minutes, if it's 10 minutes, if it's 20 minutes, wherever you start is where you start. But over the course of weeks and months, just gradually build up where you're making more and more space in your life and you're training your mind more and more closely, where you can get to two or three sessions per day for 30 minutes or more. And again, it's gonna take you some time to build that up. You're not interested in having an alarm if you don't need one in order to do your meditation. If you're on your way to work in the morning and you've only got 20 minutes and you need to set an alarm or else you might go over in your meditation, then go ahead, by all means, set an alarm. But in situations where you don't need an alarm, like maybe on the weekends or on the evenings, it's best to not set an alarm because one of two things is gonna happen. <clears throat> Either you're gonna set the alarm and you're gonna be in meditation and you're gonna be yearning and longing. Is it time yet? Is it time yet? Is it time yet? And the mind's gonna be obsessive about the time. Or the other thing that can happen is you can be deep in meditation, getting all kinds of benefit, and then the alarm goes off. And if you hadn't set the alarm, you would have actually been able to continue your meditation longer and gotten a lot more benefit. So in situations where you don't need an alarm, it's best to not set one. The way you keep track of your time is you look at what time it is when you start your meditation. Okay, it's 9 a.m. or it's 9 p.m. Now, 
you do your meditation. And then when you're done, you look at the time. Okay, it's 9.15 or it's 9.30 or it's 9.45. And now you know that you meditated for 15 minutes or 30 minutes or 45 minutes or what have you. In terms of a fixed schedule in order to meditate, it's best not to have a fixed schedule because you're not going to be able to meditate at the exact same time every day. If you set up a schedule where every day at 8 a.m. or every day at 8 p.m. I'm going to meditate, you might be able to do that for a few sessions, but life is going to happen. Things are going to be constantly changing in your life, and you're not going to be able to stay to that fixed schedule. So if you set up a schedule of a fixed time to meditate, you're kind of setting yourself up to fail. Instead, what you would like to do is have these anchor points where two or three times a day you're meditating. And maybe that's morning, maybe that's evening that you're meditating. And then where you ultimately would like to end up is where you're getting in this third session potentially every once in a while or maybe on a regular basis. But if you can get to at least two to three meditation sessions per day for 30 minutes or more, this is ideal. Even if you're doing two sessions a day and you build up to 30 minutes or more, this is where you're gonna see the most benefits. But when you first get started, wherever you're at, that's where you're at. And some people can meditate for a minute or two. My son, when he started meditating, it was kind of like one minute or two minutes. Uh, same thing with me when I first started meditating, it was very short, but then you just gradually expand it wider and wider. And this is where you know that you're on your own independent practice. You're not comparing yourself to anybody. You're not in a competition with anybody. It's your own independent practice. So wherever you start is where you start. Just be sure that you do it where you don't have a set fixed schedule because things in life aren't going to be set and fixed like that. They're going to be constantly changing. As you meditate, you might notice that the mind becomes sleepy at different times. This is also common. This happens because the mind is working quite a bit during meditation. It's not a time to zone out and do nothing, that the mind is actually active during the meditation. So because of that activity, the mind can sometimes become sleepy. But the other reason why this sometimes happens is because you may not have been sleeping very well over the last several years of your life. And now with all that pollution having built up in the mind, as you start removing the pollution, the mind might start being interested to sleep and it falls asleep more easily and more readily as you build up your meditation practice. So you might notice a period of time of three months or six months or so where in meditation and maybe even right after meditation, you become somewhat sleepy. This is kind of normal. And what you should do is either just get some sleep because you need some rest if that's what you need, or if what you need is to elongate your meditation sessions, that's where you change your positions to standing or walking. The lying position tends to induce sleep, so this one isn't necessarily ideal if you're finding that you're falling asleep or that you're getting sleepy in meditation. Usually sleeping in meditation isn't the best way to do your meditation. You'd like to actually be active and dedicated in your meditation so that you're getting some real training in. So if you're noticing that you're dozing off and falling asleep, lying position probably isn't the best position for you. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't develop it because you might need it at other times. There were times where I got into a motorbike accident and I couldn't cross my legs or I couldn't sit in a chair. I was hooked up to an IV and I was lying in bed and the 
best way for me to meditate at that point was lying meditation. So you'd like to develop all four meditation positions over time. But remember, you're doing this little by little. You don't have to snap your fingers and do all of this in one day. It's like walking up a mountain. You're going to gradually progress up this mountain little by little and attending to the things that you need to attend to as you go. So as you notice sleepiness, you can either just get some sleep or switch positions to help the mind stay more attentive and alert or invigorated during your meditation sessions. As you're meditating, the body might experience some various physical sensations like some itching sensations or other sensations. Where you're noticing that, you certainly can go ahead and itch if you need to itch. And usually that's what you're doing as you're first getting started. But what you would like to ultimately get to is get to the point where you can go longer and longer periods of time where you notice that the itch arises, it changes, and it fades away. If you're craving for permanent comfort of the body, as soon as the itch arises, you might try to itch it right away. And if that's what you need to do when you're first starting, like, okay, you know, go ahead and do that. Or if you can wait three seconds or five seconds and then you need to itch it, okay, go ahead and do that. But what you would like to do is extend that amount of time longer and longer so that you get to the point where you see this itch arise it changes and it fades away and you don't need to break your meditation in order to scratch the body because of this itch because these physical sensations are going to occur at different times in the body as you're meditating it's not possible for the body to be permanently itch free for a period of 30 minutes for example if you're doing a a 30 minute meditation session so where you notice that feel free to itch it but try to elongate that longer and longer where you ultimately get to the point where you don't need to itch the body. You might notice visual stimulation during the meditation. This is where you might see various colors that come into the mind. You might see various images from your past or things from long, 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 long ago in past lives that you didn't necessarily experience in this life, but it was some other life. These are very common in meditation. They can occur. They don't necessarily occur when you first start meditating, but for some people, they can experience that. And there's various reasons why this is occurring. You're not special or some special class of person. If you see green, it doesn't mean you're going to get wealthy. If you see purple, it doesn't mean that you're part of a royal family or anything like this. You don't need to go out and figure out what these things are. Essentially what this is in terms of the colors is that as you're training the mind, the mind is affecting the brain. The brain and the mind are two different things. The brain is the physical organ that's in the body and this is tangible. You can actually touch it. The mind is intangible. You can't touch it. The mind is what you're training and there's an effect and a connection to the brain. And because the brain is involved in sight, as you're training the mind and there's physical changes that are happening to the brain, this is what brings up the various colors that the eye itself is just a lens to bring the light in. It's actually the brain that is producing the sight. So with your eyes closed, you still might see things because as the brain is physically changing, you might see these various colors. You might even hear certain sounds in the skull as the brain is physically changing. There's a whole group of scientists and doctors and people who are researching the physical changes that are happening to the brain as part of training the mind 
mind through meditation. So this is a very understandable and common thing that you might experience. So if you do experience, just know that it's impermanent and it will eventually pass over time. But you might go through a period of three months, six months, or a year or so where you're experiencing different visual stimulation in your meditation and just know that it's impermanent. You'd like to cut that off, let it go, and bring the mind back to the breath. Wherever the mind is going to those colors or those images or whatever it's seeing, just cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath. Then you might have been taught or you might have seen that some people use various external stimulus during their meditation. There might be beads or candles or incense or music playing or gongs or things like this. This isn't helpful for your meditation if you're trying to develop your mind in the way that the Buddha actually taught. Instead, what you'd like to do is strip away all of these things from your meditation practice if you're currently using those. If you're not using those or you haven't even been meditating before, wonderful. You don't need to start using all of these things because otherwise the mind's going to get fixed and attached to the beads, the candles, the music, the incense and the gongs and all of these things. And then the mind's going to build up this habit or this dependency where it can only meditate when it's got these things available. And these things aren't going to be permanent in your life. You're not going to always have that special candle or that special phone app or something like that. Instead, what you would like to do is build up your meditation practice where it's not dependent on these external stimulus. What you would like to do is just rely on the body, the mind, and the breath. These are the only three things that you actually need for your meditation. The body, the mind, and the breath. You'll have those three things with you all the way through the course of this life. So if you build up your meditation practice, and if you're currently meditating with external stimulus, if you strip those things away to practice just the body, the mind, and the breath, then you can meditate anywhere at any time. If you're in an airport, if you're at a bus stop, if you're on a hiking trip in the mountains of Chiang Mai, Thailand. You can be three days from civilization. You don't need that special music or that special gong or that special candle or incense or phone app. Instead, you just have the body, the mind, and the breath. These are the only three things that you actually need. The way that we're going to be doing meditation is I'm going to guide you in terms of getting the body comfortable. You'll hear me as I do the guidance to help you get the body more comfortable. Not painful, not luxurious, but comfortable. Once the body's in position, then I'm going to start saying some guidance or sharing some guidance that's going to help you to establish your breath. And then once you get the breath established, then we'll move into focusing the mind on the breath. And then I'll guide you in cutting off and letting go of any thoughts that the mind is having and bringing the mind back to the breath. And then ultimately there's going to be this long period of time where I'm completely quiet and you won't hear anything from me whatsoever so that you can actually do the work and actually meditate. I will use Buddhist chanting to ease into the meditation and ease out of the meditation, but this isn't something that you might necessarily know right now, and that's okay. This chanting that I do, there's nothing mystical or magical about it. It's not prayer. It's not worship. It's not rites and rituals or things like this. It's just purely to help the mind ease into meditation and ease out of meditation. 
When we get to the point where I teach you chanting, I'm gonna explain more of the reasons of why we use chanting. You don't have to use chanting. It's not something you're required to do. It's something that I've developed in my practice and I'll share with you what the benefits are when we get to those classes. But you're not necessarily required to do chanting. There's people who can get to enlightenment without chanting. It's not anything mystical or magical that's going to produce any magical benefits. But once you understand what the benefits are, you might decide to use chanting for those benefits and to cultivate those, or you might choose to cultivate those benefits in other ways that doesn't involve chanting. So understanding the benefits of chanting will then help you to decide whether you would like to actually chant or you'd like to do other things to cultivate those qualities of mind. So you'll hear me do chanting, then I'll instruct you and guide you on getting the breath established, then we'll move into focusing on the mind, then there'll be quiet for a long period of time, then there's going to be some more chanting to bring us out of meditation. And at that point, I'll open up to any and all questions that you guys have based on the actual meditation itself. But before we actually do the meditation and I guide you in that, I would like to just open up to any questions that you guys might have about anything I've shared so far before we go into meditation. So you can put that into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand electronically in Zoom and ask any questions that you like. Yes, thank you, sir. Um, on YouTube, Saeed asks, is it okay to meditate while putting my back bent to the wall? If you need that, you can use that. It's not advisable that if you don't need it, you don't need to use it, just strengthen the back muscles. But if you're noticing some pain in the back and you need a little extra support like the wall to help you build that strength in the back, then go ahead, by all means, do that. Because remember, you're interested in the body being comfortable, not painful. But if you can do meditation without your back on the wall, this would be ideal if you can do that now or you can build up to that because you're not always going to have a wall around. You would like to build up the body, the mind, and the breath that those are the only three things that you need in your meditation practice. But if you need that for a period of time, then go for it and use it until your back muscles are strong enough to be supported by itself. Wonderful. Thank you, sir. And then also on YouTube, Thomas asks, um, as far as I do understand, this class can be like a sandra, one of the three jewels. Yes, when you're coming together in a class like this, you're learning amongst the community. So the word sangha is a Pali word for the community. And as part of what the Buddha taught, he talked about you need three things in order to get to enlightenment. You would ultimately need to build confidence in him, that his teachings actually lead to enlightenment. You would need to have access to his teachings and you would need to be part of a community. With just one of these things, you wouldn't actually be able to get to enlightenment. So if you just had confidence in the Buddha, but you didn't have access to his teachings and you weren't part of a community, you wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment. Or if you just had access to his teachings, you didn't have confidence in him and you weren't part of a community, you wouldn't be able to get to enlightenment. Or if you were just part of a community, you didn't have access to his teachings and you didn't have confidence in him. So it's all three things that help you to get to enlightenment as you build this confidence in him, you have access to his teachings and you're part of a community. Now, right now, if people are just starting, they might not have confidence in the Buddha. They might not know whether his teachings truly lead to enlightenment or not. This is what we call doubt. And that doubt can actually be harnessed for healthy purposes. It can motivate you and encourage you to actually investigate his teachings. 
The more you learn his teachings and practice them, and you see the benefits and the improvements in the condition of the mind, in the condition of your life through your personal and professional relationships improving, you'll get to the point where you have full confidence in the Buddha and you have no doubt in him whatsoever. You have no doubt in his teachings. You have no doubt in the community. You'll have no doubt in your teacher who's actually guided you to these improved mental states. And you'll have no doubt in your own ability to actually attain enlightenment because you'll see that there's already been progress over a period of time. So initially, you might have doubt about these things, either the Buddha, the teachings, the community, maybe your teacher, me, maybe you have doubt about me, or maybe you have doubt about your own ability to attain enlightenment. But as you investigate the teachings and you learn more and more closely, you practice them, this doubt will gradually erode because you'll see the improvement to the condition of your mind. So that's why I invite you guys to come into Zoom a bit early if you'd like. You're not required, but if you'd like to participate in getting to know the rest of the community. There's usually people logging in somewhere between 8.30 and 8.45. And there's usually somewhat of a conversation going on prior to class and Zoom before the actual class goes live. So you guys are welcome to log in like that in order to get to meet each other and be part of the community. But even just joining on YouTube or Facebook or listening to the podcast, the replay, you're still part of a community that can help you. And that's what that Facebook group is there for too. So there's an online community. And then when we have retreats and other events that you guys might decide to attend, that's an opportunity for you to connect with the community as well. Yes, thank you, sir. And then um, Zoom Max asks, during my day, I don't pay much attention to my breath. Did the Buddha suggest that we watch our breath as much as we can outside of meditation? He never taught this because it's impossible to focus to that level of detail on your breath outside of meditation in your daily life because your mind can only do one thing at a time. You're going to be active, you know, doing work or spending time with your children or your life partner or driving or things like this. What you're doing in meditation is very different than what you're doing in daily life. In meditation, we're going to be cutting off all thoughts. Anytime the mind has a thought, we're going to be cutting it off and cutting it off and cutting it off, coming back to the breath, observing that breath. And here, what you're trying to do is you're trying to gain this discipline of the mind that you observe thoughts sooner and sooner. That's the mindfulness that you have concentration or the singleness of mind, and you have the discipline and the control to be able to let go of that thought and bring the mind back to the breath. We're not actually eliminating thoughts in meditation. That's not the goal. Even an enlightened being is still going to have occasional thoughts in meditation, but they'll observe those thoughts sooner and sooner, and they'll cut them off and let them go easier and easier as you get closer and closer to enlightenment. So the breath is just there in meditation to be your single object that you're focusing on. In daily life, when you're having thoughts, if you have an unwholesome thought, like say anger rises up in the mind, or say there's a craving to steal something, or there's a craving to have sexual misconduct going outside of a relationship or something like this, or say there's a craving to take substances that cause heedlessness, you'd like to cut that off because those are unwholesome thoughts. But in daily life where you have wholesome thoughts, you would like to encourage those, support those, not allowing them to fade. So you don't need to be constantly focused on the breath throughout your day. This would be distracting to the mind because you're going to be involved in other activities. Wonderful. Thank you, sir. And then 
I think because we've spoken about the body and the mind, the boss and the employee, uh, Thomas on YouTube asks, so who is training the mind? Sure. So there's this body, which is one thing. Then there's the mind, which is a second thing. The combination of these two things together is the person. So the Buddha taught about the mind and training the mind, but he made aware that there are these three components that are coming together. There's the body, there's the mind, and then the combination of those two things is the person. What's training the mind is the person. So you can look at the mind as like this third entity. And now there's this person who's watching over the mind and training the mind actively through meditation, but also in daily life too. This eightfold path that I'm going to be sharing with you over the next three Sundays, this is what's going to give you the entire life practice. Sometimes people think that they can just meditate their way to enlightenment, but you can't just meditate your way to enlightenment. This is one component of your life practice. And the eightfold path is going to explain to you the eight individual steps that you need in order to train the mind. So one of the biggest myths that we have in the Buddhist community is some people think that you can sit down, meditate, and then you get to enlightenment. But instead, you practice the meditation as the person training the mind and now in meditation as you're training this mind you observe that it's becoming more and more clear more and more focused there's less and less discontentedness in the mind and then you know that you're on the right path and this is all leading to more and more benefits so you're going to learn how meditation plugs into your overall life practice and that there's these other aspects of your life practice that you'll develop and it's the person that's developing that and training this mind Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. And then a question is not really related to meditation on uh, YouTube. Pepico asks, does one need the four jhanas to reach enlightenment, sir? Everybody who gets to enlightenment will pass through the jhanas. These are four preliminary phases that the mind goes through before it gets to the first stage of enlightenment. We're going to be talking about these in about three Sundays from now. Wonderful. Thank you, sir. Mm -hmm. Uh, it does not appear there are any other questions at this time. Okay. If that's the case, I'd like to invite you guys to join for our first meditation session together, whether you're attending live or you're watching this on the replay. It can be helpful for you even on the replay to still do the meditation here at this point because now you can receive this guidance and instruction in how to actually meditate. So let me start with helping you get the body in position. If you would like to sit on the floor, you can go ahead and sit on the floor. You might decide to put a cushion under your rear to get your rear up in the air. This lessens the angles at your hips, your knees, and your ankles. It can make it more comfortable by having a cushion under your rear and getting that up in the air. If you're in a chair, you might decide to put your feet flat on the floor or crossed at the ankles. There's not just one fixed way to actually position the body. So this is whatever is most comfortable for you. I'm going to be giving you a lot of different options here and you choose what works best. So if you're in a chair, the lower body should be completely relaxed and comfortable. Maybe cross at the ankles or feet flat on the floor. If you're on the floor, putting those cushions under your rear to get that up in the air and then lightly crossing the legs so that you can maintain circulation in the legs. You're not interested in crossing the legs really tightly because that'll inhibit the circulation and you'll start experiencing pain throughout the meditation. 
the hands and the arms, the Buddha put his right hand on top of his left, and then he put his thumbs together like this, and then he put that into his lap. You're welcome to use that and see if it's comfortable for you. But for some people, this isn't going to be comfortable. This is why there's other options. You could put your palms on your thighs. You could put your palms on the knees. You could put your palms up. If you're in a chair that has an armrest, you might even just rest your arms on the armrest of the chair. So that essentially the lower body and the hands and arms are completely relaxed in this seated position. So I'm going to instruct the seated position at this point. Then the upper body. Here, you would like it to be erect, not real rigid and not slouched, because if it's real rigid, the mind's going to be uptight. But if the upper body is slouched, then the mind has a tendency to become unmotivated and lack attention. So by keeping the upper body erect or straight, this keeps the mind attentive and alert during the meditation. So you would like to have the upper body erect where the muscles are engaged to a certain degree, keeping the body erect. So the lower body, hands and arms are completely relaxed. The upper body is straight and erect. Next, you would like to just close the eyes and now start breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Here, you're just taking a nice deep breath, a natural, consistent breath. Breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. You're not trying to force the breath or control it. Just a nice gradual inhale through the nose. And wherever you get to it, a nice gradual exhale through the nose. Now you can just hang out here with the breath. I'm going to do some chanting to ease us into meditation. And then afterwards, I'm going to come back with some more guidance around the breath and helping you get further into meditation. If you already know these chants, you're welcome to chant along. Ara to 
You just develop a nice natural breath, breathing in and out, breathing in and out. Your breath isn't going to necessarily match up with the guidance that I'm providing. This is your practice. I'm just here to provide guidance. So wherever you get to the next inhale, just breathe in gradually through the nose, establishing a nice natural breath. And then whenever you get to your exhale, just breathe out gradually through the nose, using this guidance, breathing in, in out breathing in in out so this guidance is just here as a reminder to help you develop a nice natural breath breathing in through the nose And wherever you get to it, just breathe out gradually through the nose. Once the breath is well established, you'd like to start fixating the mind on the breath, the sound of the breath, or the sensation of air moving into the nose. The breath is the present moment. Fixate the mind on the breath, the present moment. Breathing in and 
in, out. Breathing in. In, out. With the mind fixated on the breath, whenever you observe that the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. There's no need to label the thought, analyze it, observe it, judge it, or even try to figure out where it's coming from. Just wherever you observe that the mind is off the breath, cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. Breathing in. In, out. Breathing in. In, out. I'm going to be quiet now and let you do this work of focusing on the breath. And whenever the mind is off the breath, you cut that off, let it go, and come back to the breath, the present moment. You have nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. No one needs you right now. This is your time to focus on the breath. Breathing in. In, out.
Just kind of ease back out of your meditation. As you guys are coming out of meditation, I would like to just remind you of a few things and share a few new things. Is First of all, I would like to remind you guys that the goal of this meditation isn't to eliminate thoughts. What you're doing is you're gaining control or discipline of the mind. You're going to have thoughts in meditation. When you first start, oftentimes people are very bombarded by thoughts. You might have a whole lot of thoughts. And if that's where you're at, that's completely normal. That's completely fine. At least you know that that's the state of the mind. That's mindfulness or awareness of mind. You have that mindfulness. But then as you continue to practice and you train the mind more and more, what you'll notice is there'll be these gaps of time where the mind is stilled or quieted or peaceful. And as you notice those gaps becoming wider and wider, that's the condition of the mind gradually improving. 
There's nothing in your life that you are an expert at the moment that you tried it for the first time. So I don't suggest that you put expectations on yourself that you should be an expert right now in meditation because this may be the first time that you've ever meditated with me in this particular way, in this particular style, because this is the way that the Buddha actually taught the way that I just shared with you. So even if you've been meditating other places, you may not have meditated this way. So you're not going to be an expert in meditation right from the beginning. Everything you've ever learned in your life that has any purpose or any value, you've needed to gradually learn, gradually train, and gradually practice so that you could experience this gradual progress. So don't have the expectation that you should be perfect with meditation. You're going to experience some thoughts and maybe even a bombardment of thoughts as you get going with meditation. But as you train and you accumulate the benefits, you'll see this accumulation of the benefits where there'll be more quietness and more stillness in the mind for longer and longer periods of time. Even a person who has an enlightened mind, they're going to have a thought in meditation, maybe multiple thoughts at different times. But they're going to notice it right away and they're going to be able to cut it off and let it go right away. But you've got work to do before your mind gets to that point. So allow for that work to be done and don't expect that you'll be an expert in meditation right away. I would like to encourage you to build up your practice from this class and beyond, whether you're attending live or on the replay. Build up your practice to two or three meditation sessions for 30 minutes or more. And remember, you're going to need to build over time. There's some students that take six months or a year or longer to build up to that point. So you're not comparing yourself to anybody. You're not in a race with anybody. Instead, you just start wherever you start. If you can start with once a day for five minutes and that's where you're starting, okay, that's where you're starting. Or if you're starting twice a day for 10 minutes, okay, that's where you're starting. So just build up your practice wherever you're at, whatever you're able to start, start with that. And then as you build up to two or three sessions per day for 30 minutes or more, you're going to see increased amount of benefits as you do that. What's important for you to keep in mind as you're building up your meditation practice is that you should never, ever, ever give up. Don't ever give up on your meditation practice. While you may feel challenged, while you may feel certain struggles during your meditation practice, while you may feel like you're not seeing immediate progress, if the mind's craving and wanting progress right away, right away, don't allow the mind to do that. And as you see it doing that, just cut it off and make sure this person trains the mind that, hey, you're going to need some time to develop this. You're not going to be an expert from the beginning. So give yourself that time. Don't ever give up. Just continue to work forward. If you shrink back from the struggle, then your mind isn't going to be able to progress. Oftentimes when we feel that there's a struggle or we feel like there's a challenge, we either want to run away from it or we want to push this challenge away from us. But instead, what you're learning as part of this path is to turn around and walk towards the struggle. That's what you would like to do. That's what's going to produce results. If you give up, it's walking away, right? It's going to allow this discontent mind and these bombardment of thoughts to continue. 
that's for sure going to lead to no progress if you give up. But if you turn around and you walk towards the struggle by coming to classes, by reading the books, by asking questions of your teacher, by maybe scheduling personal guidance sessions, by asking questions, this is walking towards the challenge so that now you can gain wisdom and you can improve the condition of the mind. But if you give up or you turn away from the struggle, you're not going to be able to experience that progress. And remember the words of the Buddha that I shared at the very beginning of class. Meditate, monks, or meditate, students. Do not be complacent, lest you will regret it later. This is my instruction to you. So if you can remember this over the coming weeks and months, that where you see the mind wanting to be complacent, maybe it wants to search on social media and surf some posts. Maybe it wants to watch TV, listen to music. Maybe it wants to you know, run around and do this thing or that thing. Instead, don't allow the mind to be complacent. Start carving more and more time out of your life where you allow the mind to develop this meditation practice and the other things that you're going to need too, like coming to classes and reading books and things like that. So where you see the mind wanting to be complacent and keeping you in that dark place where there's stress and anxiety and sadness and anger. Don't allow that to be there. Don't allow the mind to remain complacent. Instead, the person needs to stand up and decide to train this mind. Treat it like a kid. Treat it like a child. Treat it like a wild animal that, hey, this mind needs to be tamed. Get over here. You need to do some work, right? So don't allow it to just be indulgent in all these different activities that maybe it's doing now. Of course, you're going to do some of those things at different times in your life, but where you see the mind pushing off or shrugging off meditation, you need to arise this energy and this effort that is directed towards practicing the teachings, which includes meditation. So I'll pause here and see what questions you guys have for the rest of class. You can put those into Facebook, YouTube, or Zoom, or you can raise your hand electronically in Zoom and ask, any questions or follow-up questions directly? Um, yes, thank you, sir. The only question that is on YouTube right now is Thomas asking, up until the next class, any homework not relating to the meditation? If you would like to read chapters four in the first little part of chapter five, you can. That's something that I'm going to be covering in Sunday's class. So the meditation, of course, building that up. But then if you'd like to read chapter four in the first little part of chapter five about right view and right intention, you could do that. You might even decide to read the preface of the book. This is a real good introduction to the path to enlightenment is reading that preface. So that's another thing that you could potentially read over the coming days. It does not appear that there are any other questions this time, sir. All right. Well, I'll just end class by saying thank you all for attending. Thank you all for your time and attention. Thank you for choosing to dedicate your time to learning and practicing these teachings, because as you do, it's only going to help you, those close to you, and all of humanity as you build up your practice. And now you're causing less and less harm in the world by training the mind. And I would also like to once again remind you that as you need help, feel free to reach out. I'm here for you to help you as you have challenges. You can post questions in Facebook. You can ask questions in class. You can send private messages and you can schedule a personal guidance session. So feel free to reach out and ask for help as you need that. So until next time, I'll see you guys in one of these future classes where I'll be sharing the path to enlightenment with you on Sundays and Wednesdays. We'll see you then. Sawadee Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
To provide support for this podcast, visit patreon.com forward slash support Buddha. To access more teachings, visit buddhadailywisdom.com. There, you will discover a full range of courses, retreats, and online resources to assist you on the path to enlightenment. Remember to establish a daily, consistent meditation practice, along with learning and practicing these teachings. A well-developed meditation practice is the foundation in which to train the mind to attain enlightenment.